You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network. Today's episode, episode number eight, another our last mini episode for now, and it's going to be called Seed to Sale, Going Through the Supply Chain, uh, how it looks, how it may look in the future, and what we find interesting about each part in supply chain. So the overview is... Uh, at the very beginning, you have cultivation or growing the flower. Then you have uh, extraction or extracting oil or oils um, from the flower. You have manufacturing, which is the process of turning um, whatever your raw ingredient is into your stabilized product. So that could be an edible, that could be a vape, that could be the flower itself. It could be many different types of products. You have distribution, which is basically getting the product and moving it and warehousing it and, and getting it from point A to point Z. And you have retail um, we have, you have retail for the end consumer. So that is what we think of as the dispensary. That is the end point where the customer actually receives the product or gets to go in and buy the product. Right. And sometimes you can circumvent extraction processing if you're just selling dry flour. Well, and, and actually you can circumvent a lot of the different processes, right? Because if you think about, sometimes they blend together. So if you think about something like, you know, Amazon and e-commerce, you know, they remove that retail note of the chain, right? So it right. goes, distribution means it shows up direct at your doorstep. Yeah, right? focusing so, on the last mile. Exactly. So we're going to talk about the entire value chain because there are very interesting opportunities <clears throat> at each part of the value chain, right? But it's important to note that depending on where you are, so just, you know, Canada versus the U.S., for example, uh, the licensing can be very different. And just as an example, um, you know, distribution in Ontario doesn't really exist because everything's handled by the government, whereas in California, distribution is its own license and there's a myriad of... Co- Actually, you need to hire a third-party company to distribute for you. Right, right, right. But yeah, let's, let's touch further on the actual uh, supply chain here. Just keep it, again, high level. And, and sorry, Abby, why is it important to talk about the supply chain? Good question. Good question. It's very important to talk about the supply chain because I think a lot of people, when they think of the cannabis sector, they only think of the flower or the plant. So they're just thinking of cultivation, growing flower. Exactly. But right. there's there's so much more to it than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just like you, just like we touched on, there's the cultivation aspect of it. There's mm-hmm. the extraction and the manufacturing and then the distribution for it. So And the retail. And the retail. When the industry first started... I'm going to use about the 2013 timeline because that's when the that's when we started seeing Canadian LPs. Again, LP stands for licensed producers. Their cultivators start to come online. They started to go uh, go public. So around then, um, so that sentiment that that thought has still carried on with a lot of investors today. It's five years later, or sorry, it's like six years later, and people still think that the cannabis industry is just somebody who grows the flower or touches the flower or does whatever. Meanwhile, you and I both know it's so much more than that. It's also important to note that 
a lot of times, like none of these things are mutually exclusive. So when we're talking about some of the biggest LPs, guys like Aurora, guys like Canopy, um, these companies really are diversified across a lot of things. Um, and one of the things they do is they sometimes they try to kind of put their um, they try to ha- own every piece of the value chain, right? So, you know, let's just use Canopy Growth as an example. You know, Canopy's growing cannabis, yes, and and they're a cultivator, and that's kind of was phase one of their business. But as they matured, now they're focusing. They're also you know opening up a big extraction facility. They're opening up, you know, they're opening up dispensaries, right? So, it's we're going to talk about these different parts of the value chain. Um, but a lot of companies will be vertically integrated. So that's the title here, seed to sale. A lot of companies talk about that, right? In that they not only grow the seeds, but then they do it all the way to sales. And that this is my biggest gripe with the industry is the vertical integration and how everybody loves it. There's no way you're going to be a world-class cultivator growing excellent product, a world-class extraction company a world-class manufacturing company, a world-class retail brand, a world-class distribution company, you are not going to achieve operational efficiencies in the entire value chain, right? And that's what the trade, that's what the cannabis trade used to be before. And now we're seeing a lot of people kind of hone in and really, really, really focus on specific areas of the value chain where they can add a lot more value. Well, specialization is a time-old business principle, right? Specializing in the value chain and as you look across other industries, it is extremely uncommon to have a vertically integrated company that tries to do everything. Yeah, exactly. People like to specialize. It just makes more sense. It's more efficient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you specialize at the things that you're really good at and bring the most value, and you partner or you you know work with other companies for the other parts of the chain. That's yeah. how the rest of business works. That being said, again, um, a lot of this depends on licensing and especially in the US every it's so fragmented every state has a different system right so um, for example in Florida where it's only medicinally legal but Florida is a very large and promising state companies have great margins because they have to be vertically integrated um, and also partially you know because it's a limited license state so there's there's sort of an oligopoly and limited competition but um, they're able to earn very high margins. Because, you know, not only are they growing the flower, but then when they sell it, they get to sell it at, you know, a very healthy price and they capture all the margin from top to bottom, right? And so far in Florida, it's been a very successful model for those companies. Um, but again, that's limited license. It's early stage. So we'll see how that turns out. But it's very important for people to understand what the value chain looks like so that when a company comes along, I always try to categorize it into what part of the value chain it sits in. Right. And they might say, hey, we do all of it. But the question is really, well, what's your specialty? Where do you live and die? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So cultivation, is there anything really to say about cultivators? Uh, It's facing commoditization. You're facing margin compression. Um, Are they seeing that? Are they seeing that yet? Or are we just theorizing that they that will be there? Because where we are right now in July of 2019, there is still technically, I believe, a supply crunch. I believe so, yeah. In Canada, I mean, there's a supply shortage. I don't know how long it's going to last for, seeing as how all these cultivation companies, if you if you look at what their production capacities are, they're going to be bringing on a significant amount of flour to the market. 
and, that, issue, and that's what they've planned. Yeah, that's what they've planned. But the issue with the yeah, that's the, the with the supply shortage. I mean, it doesn't even matter, right? With let's just say if you're in if you're in a commodities business, you always want to be the lowest cost producer. That's it. That's how you're going to win because if you're the lowest cost producer, you're going to have higher profits when prices are good. And when prices are bad, when the competition is like trying to compete, you're all you're still profitable, hopefully. And you're talking about margins here, right? Yeah, profit how much, margins. What's your cost per gram to produce, and then what can you sell? What's it your for? wholesale price? And you it's important it. to remember as we move through the value chain here, um, what you can sell for. You just said the word wholesale, right? The idea being that in Canada, um, you're you're probably going to have to. It depends, again, where you are. But in Ontario, for example, you grow it and then you have to sell it to the Ontario Cannabis Store, who's the middleman, and we'll get into the distribution part later, and then they sell it to a retailer, right? So yeah. what that does is they've mandated this middleman here, so um, it limits the price at which you can sell, and it, it encourages commoditization. I think it's important to note that we're not there yet because we're still in the supply crunch. We're still in the ramp-up period. But looking ahead, that's why I think we've said on other episodes, Canadian LPs, we have to be very selective on. Right. Because we only have a certain population here, um, you know, a tenth of what they have in the U.S., but we've got all this capital and all these cultivators coming online. Um, and unless you're a brand who really stands out, it's going to be hard to avoid getting squeezed on the price. Exactly. Exactly. And there's still a lot to prove out for cultivators because they're going to have to, you know, Every step of the value chain has opportunity and has challenges. So because so much of the attention went to cultivators in the beginning, there's a ton of cultivators coming online. There's also a lot of knowledge because people have been growing this crop for many, many years, you know, illegally as well. Um, But they're also scaling out these enormous warehouses. So there's a lot to be proven as well. So the risk-reward can often um, be unattractive in my opinion because it's a lot of companies are already priced quite high. You're going to have a lot of competition, but you still have a lot to prove because you have to go scale these huge warehouses out. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, sorry, last point is that you're going to have indoor and outdoor. For sure. And then that's you, you add more to the cost. Cost goes up. I think people understand the cultivation aspect of it. Let's talk on something that we're both very excited about, the extraction component of the, of the value chain right now. Yes. New high level. Go over extraction. the extraction. I love extraction. I made, you know, my first really good money in this space in a company called Medifarm Labs. They are extraction spe- specialists. And the pitch, the way I understood the pitch was, we're not going to grow cannabis. We're going to extract it, right? So um, what extraction means is that they take the raw product and, you know, it's not necessarily the, the flower you're used to seeing being sold. It can be the trim. It can be, you know, something that doesn't look as good. And they're extracting um, the THC or, you know, it's not only THC, there's different cannabinoids, but they're extracting basically that from it in, in some kind of oil. Um, and then that oil, that, that, you know, crude resin is kind of the byproduct of that. And then that can be refined in many ways and it can be turned into many kinds of products. Right, exactly. And that's why we like it because now you're a price maker because when eventually the biomass does come online, they're going to be the price taker. So company, the extraction companies are going to have a plethora of supply that they can choose from, and they're going to be saying, hey, we're going to pay less, 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 because there's going to be a lot of competition, and then they're going to extract the products. The margins are going to be significantly higher, and because the margins are significantly higher, you're not facing the same same issues that you're facing on the cultivation side where, they're, like we said, margin compression commoditization. You're not seeing that right now on the extraction side. Right. I think it's also important to note there, though, that, again, this is theoretical, and 
right now where we are, again, the, the LPs, the, the growers haven't faced that compression yet. We think they will in the future. But it's important to note that everything is sort of relative and fluid. So extractors, I think they have not faced um, price compression at all. Uh, in fact, right now, they're, you know, the problem for them is there's a supply crunch. So getting the cannabis is, is you know, difficult. Um, but again, if you have the commoditization of the, of the flour, the extractors are in a better position, right? Because now they can buy it more cheaply, and that's their, their raw ingredient that's the most expensive. Absolutely. Um, but on the flip side, the challenge for um, extractors going forward is that as more and more of them pop up, and they will because I think it's a really good business, as more and more of them pop up and as the LPs build out their own extraction facilities. Actually, I want to touch on that. But, so the, the point being that as more and more competition um, pops up, they're, you know, these guys who are extracting the oil, they are then theoretically, again, selling. If they're just doing extraction, they're selling the oil to somebody else, right? Yeah. So, you know, you raise a good point because as the, as the LPs want to start extracting, as the LPs want to get into it. So Canopy, we talked on it. They built up that, that extraction company. And basically, they spent $80 million and they couldn't do it, right? So extraction, the main barrier to entry, because we always talk about this, the main barrier to entry is not capital. And it's not equipment, which makes it very unique. It's talent. The way that I like to look at extracting companies is that everybody in their house has an oven, but not everybody can cook. Just because mm. you can buy a, a state-of-the-art facility does not mean you're going to be a state-of-the-art extractor. And that goes back to my vertical integration thing where you you, you cannot win on every single area of the supply chain. It's very difficult. And yeah. it's important to note, Canopy is still building out that $80 million facility, um, but it's a great point that it doesn't seem to be a problem you can just throw money at because when you actually look at the money it takes to build out an extraction facility, it's not that expensive. Like the no, equipment is not that expensive. You don't need a lot of space at all. Um, and yet it seems to be more challenging than people thought, right? So obviously there is something to um, extraction. There's something on the human capital side that's lacking. Uh, but again, as this becomes, you know, as attention gets focused here, as capital goes here, as companies pop up, you know, the extraction space will also get more competitive. It will. It definitely will. It takes um, us to the next point. Which is manufacturing and production. Right. So the idea here, and again, this will vary based on territory, but the idea here is that once um, you know, once you have your raw ingredient, whether it's the flour or whether it's, it's that oil, right, um, you're going to process it into a product, okay? So there's so many varieties of products, but, you know, just off the top, um, vapes, right? Concentrates like shatter, uh, edibles, you know, your actual raw flour, and uh, you know, tinctures, lotions, creams, beverages, etc. Beverages, new ones popping up every day. And what excites me about the space is, honestly, we hasn't we haven't even seen some of the products that are going to come out yet. It's gonna, exactly. I think a couple of years from now it'll be mind blowing how many different applications there are. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's true. And the topical ones, I mean, are, are the ones that I'm trying to see a little bit more online now. Mm -hmm. um, My sister told me that, like, basically CBD is included in almost all of the new cosmetics she's seeing. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, I was actually saying, I, I used this, I was talking to somebody else and saying, once Jennifer Aniston, I use her as an example, once Jennifer Aniston starts talking about this face cream that has CBD in it, everybody's going to get it today. Jennifer Aniston is now uh, talking about how CBD. No way. Yeah. So you've been saying that for a while. I've been saying this. I've been saying this for like almost a year now. Wow, that's great. Because uh, just because Jennifer Aniston is just somebody who I don't think has ever aged day in her life. She still looks like <laughs> Rachel from Friends. Uh, and 
Um, I think a lot of and women the secret look at her. was the CBD cream exactly. the whole time. Exactly. And so now, no, you're seeing this, right? You're seeing sunscreen companies that are adding CBD, and they're they're basically right. getting a premium for it. And so, so, so it's important. CBD is a good one too because so extraction, right? It has to be extracted from typically hemp, but it could also be from um, just cannabis, high CBD cannabis. But the, that's a really good example of manufacturing because in the states, especially, what you're seeing is you're seeing um, the company, you know, that wants to incorporate CBD into their face cream, they're not looking to be a cannabis company, right? So it's very unlikely that they're going to set up an extraction line to, to extract um, CBD because it's not worth it for them. So for them, that CBD line is a very small part of their business. So they're just going to buy the CBD, the CBD oil or, or the, un- like, basically the raw material. Well, because they can't specialize From an extraction it, right? company. They, yeah, they're not going to be master extractors. So right, exactly. why would they focus on that? So they should focus on what they're good at. Exactly. Right? And again, just getting to know the importance of different regulation. In the States, um, and this we can get pretty technical here, but in the States, CBD is not regulated the same as it is in Canada. So um, CBD, if it's grown, if it's extracted from hemp, it has a, a very, very low THC content. Um, it's it's really you can do anything. You can cross state lines. You can ship it everywhere. So the the point I'm just making with that is you you know a lot of companies will will use it in the manufacturing process. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, and then going going from there, we look at distribution. Right. Right. So that's another issue, and this is a, a, an issue that a lot of companies face. Logistics and distribution is, logistics. It really gets ignored by a lot of companies, right? Exactly, and that's just why for the general general public, right? We don't we don't necessarily think about how the good gets from from point A to point Z in cannabis. Yeah, on the retail side, I think a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure people look at FedEx and people look at UPS, but they can't do this stuff. They can't transport cannabis right now because there's distribution licenses that are required. There are barriers to entry in this. So and with, in Canada, my understanding is that cannabis is only sent by Canada Post. So if, uh, you, if you buy something from the Ontario Cannabis Store, it has to be shipped by Canada Post. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah. That's I think I think that's that's the the law right now for it. So it's very very important to understand the supply chain and the particular place that you're looking to invest. Because if you're following what we've said so far, that means in Ontario, which is where you know both Abby and I live, um, you know you might think that. Um, uh, you might think that distribution is a really cool part of the process. Well, guess what? You can't invest in distribution companies because it's Canada Post, it's the Ontario Cannabis Store, right? So we're talking about government taking over a part of the supply chain. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. In in Canada that that does that does um that is the case right now. But what I what, what I was really hoping to do with this was I just wanted to point light to that there's more than just touching the file. Like, you know, this the distribution is very important. Right. You want to achieve operational efficiency. You know, you can't be a world class logistics company and be a world class extractor. Right. Theoretically, it'd be very difficult. I I haven't seen it in any other industry. I don't see why cannabis is any different. Fair enough. Right. And then going from there, we now get into the retail sales aspect of it. Um, in Canada, the guys are a little bit more handcuffed. But if you look at like Vegas, you were just, you were in Vegas. You were telling me the, the stores that you, that you were going to, and want to elaborate on that experience. Sure. So from a retail experience, I would say again, like, and you know, I've said this many times, but my focus right now is really in the U.S. And it's just purely from the way I see the supply chain unfolding over there and how it compares to Canada. And again, it's very important to note when I say Canada, I like we live in Ontario, and so um, 
it's actually different in every province, right? So Montreal, sorry, Quebec or, you know, British Columbia might be very different than what we see in Ontario. But the way I see it in Ontario is, so Ontario, for example, which is the most populous province of Canada, only has 25 retail licenses, which were awarded by lottery, by random lottery. So it doesn't matter if you're canopy growth and have millions and billions of dollars. Actually, they discouraged companies like Canopy Growth and Aurora to get those licenses. Again, and, and it was just the, you know, um, I don't know, it's just pretty ridiculous, right? And, and unfortunately, the federal government let, gave a lot of leeway to the provinces. And, you know, the without getting too technical, but the people who were in charge of Ontario at the time, they were, I felt, pretty against it. So um, anyway, the, the point is, if you look at the retail um, operations in in Canada, I mean Toronto, where we live, which is you know really the, the you know the the heart and and soul of uh, the epicenter of the universe, the epicenter. The, yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, <laughs> the epicenter of you know Canada's it's Canada's business capital, right? We have three stores open right now, I believe, in in downtown Toronto, and two of them are on Queen Street West, five minutes from each other. Like the, it's so inefficient. Right. And it's so hard as an investor. Like if if your goal is to invest in retail in Ontario, good luck. It's so, so difficult. Right. Whereas when I went down to Vegas, completely different ball game. Right. You've got Planet 13 down there. You've got a lot of other dispensaries down there. Um, and just again, the way the supply chain works, um, that's. That really informs how I decide to invest. Exactly. And so just to recap the supply chain really quickly here, you've got the cultivation, which where the trade started. You've got the extractors. You've got the manufacturers. You've got distribution. And now you've got retail as well. And, uh, again, this was one of our mini or one of our shorter uh, podcasts or, or shorter episodes. And we'd love to hear your feedback from it. want to know if you guys ever even considered the supply chain when making an, uh, a cannabis investment or whether you even realized that it existed. And now that you do, you've heard a little bit about it. If there's one area that you'd like to learn more on, let us know, as well as what's got you most excited in your investments. Are you looking at extraction? Are you looking at distribution? Are you looking at retail? Yeah, that's that's a great conclusion. So thanks for listening again, guys. My name is Manish. This is Abby. You've been listening to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.